Welcome into episode 127 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast alongside Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan. The Natty Hattie. I'm Luke Lipinski, and here we go. We're going to start in Ottawa, where all good podcasts begin. With the, uh, this isn't a rumor. What is this, Craig? Well, this is, I don't know what this is. Okay, good. I don't think anyone knows what this is yet. But Eric Carlson, uh, Eric Carlson made it clear earlier this month that he's going to get his money wherever it is. And recently, the Ottawa Senators asked Eric Carlson, among all their all players with no trade lists, to provide those lists, the list of teams, which has led to the speculation that Eric Carlson is on the trade block, which sounds absolutely insane when you're talking about one of the two or three best players in the game. But we can discuss whether that's legit or not. Well, if this happens, it's because you did not wear the Eric Carlson wig last year. I think that's pretty clear yes. with, uh, with, with everything that was going down with the Blackhawks last season. and your What was your actual prediction, that they wouldn't make the playoffs? Or no, the... no, no. They wouldn't make the cup final, yeah, which okay. is where you said they'd be. Oh, yeah. We didn't get a bell, by the way, so Eric Carlson wig is clearly not on Natty Hattie Bingo. We should, uh, we should sort of restate this for people that for some reason missed episode 126. We have the Natty Hattie Bingo card. We, we don't know what's on it, our producer, or as Jamie calls him, uh, what's the leftovers. Left o- yeah, what, what's left over, Chris Schubert over there, is, uh, <laughs> will let us know. With it. We, have a, we have a different bell this week. Yes, this is a, this is a hotel desk bell. Is that what yes. you said it was? Okay. Yeah, that. So when you hear that sound, we've checked off something. What do we have right now? We have eight boxes checked off out of 24, plus we have the free box, right? Okay, so it, it, Chris is giving us the thumbs he's up. N- he's nodding, which okay. is great for audio. How do we fill the free box? Just a question. How do we fill it? Yeah. The free box should just be Craig saying, the daddy honey, yeah. like that. Like, uh, that's the free box. That okay. should be every box, actually, on the, on, the, on the card. It's an easy bingo, then. So we don't have any bingos yet. No. But, uh, but this is building from last week. So if you hear the bell, we hit something. We don't know what they are, so we will carry on. Back to Eric Carlson. I don't understand what you could ever expect to get in return for him that is equal value. Well, I really don't. You're not. I mean, you're not going to get equal value from him. We've talked about this with John Tavares. we talked about it with Steven Stamkos. You're not, when you have a player of that caliber, you're not going to get equal value. And if they truly believe they can't afford to re-sign him, I, I, I guess you have to trade him. I mean, they're not, they look barely like they're even in playoff contention anymore. They're 10 points back. And they look awful. Lost nine in their last 10. I, I, but you're not, you're not going to get anything more than, what, 60 cents on the dollar for him? You can't expect uh, uh, too many existing NHL players because you're just crippling the other team when, when you send them that way. This can't be like a Herschel Walker trade where you can build your future off of it. I, I can't see that happening, and I don't know how you can get a team to give up enough, enough existing players to make it worth getting Eric Carlson. So, yeah, this is, this is complex. And we may be making too much of this because wow. I, think, I think in many ways this is procedural – it is very common for teams to get their the, the, the list of teams on those no trade lists, whether it's you know whether it's in the summer before the season starts or if if per the agreement I've been told some you have to request it of certain players. So maybe that's all there is here. But you have Carlson coming out and saying I'm going to get my money no matter what, and you've you've seen reports in multiple places that that didn't sit so well with ownership. Well, maybe they are. Maybe this is just getting back at Eric Carlson by saying, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna see what we can get for you." I, I don't think that makes any sense, but maybe maybe there is some reality here. Maybe there is some thought that we can't pay him the money that he's going to demand on the open market, and when he hits the open market, he's going to be what? Is he going to be twenty nine at that point? Yeah, yeah. twenty nine. So maybe you think, okay, do we want to give out that kind of contract to a guy who's going to be hitting thirty very soon, or is this the kind of contract to get us in trouble down the road? Well, okay, so just a couple of the, the background facts. He's making $6.5 million a year yeah. right now. He's 27. He's signed through the end of the 2018-19 season. He's the best defenseman in hockey. And it's not even close. I mean, he's an MVP candidate each year now. Yeah. So what do you think he can get on the open market? Ten. Right, we should probably start there. Ten? Ten. Okay. Six by ten. So, okay, so you're saying six years, $10 million? Yeah. If I'm Ottawa, I'm finding a way to do that. Like what? So that contract ends. He's thirty five. He can still play at a high level when he's thirty five. I'm sure he's going to ask for seven, but you try to take take a year off of it, give him a little bit more money. But I mean, the notion that if ownership's upset with him making those comments and they're going to get back at him, well, they'll show him. Like I mean, <laughs> I mean, if Ottawa doesn't have Eric Carlson, they're 
largely irrelevant for the se- a, a the senators, long time. Again, the senators need Eric Carlson more than Eric Carlson needs the senators. Yeah, and and I don't know the full dynamic of how this works in Canada because we're not doing the show from Canada, but I, I feel like if Ottawa, even if Ottawa is just equal talent-wise and excitement-wise and record-wise with the other six teams, they're going to be about the seventh, sixth or seventh Canadian team talked about. So if they don't have Eric Carlson, like, look at it last year. They went all the way to within a goal of going to the Stanley Cup, and most shows in Canada were still talking about Toronto and Edmonton and Montreal during the playoffs anyway when they weren't even in it. And this team is going to look vastly different in two years. They only have eight skaters under contract yeah. for the 1920 season. You know, Bobby Ryan, Mike Hoffman, Clark MacArthur, Zach Smith, J.G. Pajot, Dion Phaneuf, Mark Borecki, Dion Thomas Shabbat, like that's it. Who's currently making more than Eric Carlson? Yes, per year, <laughs> as is Bobby Ryan. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess that's true. So, are you are you looking at this then as a window? You can't be looking at this as a window if you're Ottawa, because right now you're well, you're well. You'd have to be good. We talked about relevancy earlier, Luke, but they're sitting just above the Buffalo Sabers in the Eastern Conference, and no one else. I mean, below them. contractually, it looks like a window, but they are not good. So I don't know what the window is to do. Well, but we, they won't be good if they get, lose Eric Carlson. No, they'll be awful. And we laughed too when you heard those comments from pretty reputable. Uh, media outlets in Canada that when you make the trade for Matt Duchesne, you've essentially gone all in to win this year, or I guess next year, because Duchesne's still signed next year too. That was obviously insane. Matt Duchesne doesn't sway a team that is has the talent level that Ottawa does to a Stanley Cup contender, but they shouldn't be this bad either. Like You didn't make that trade with the thought that you were going to then lose. Uh, they, they've won one game since November 11th. It's they, not great. They're by far the, the coldest team in hockey right now. They've basically won a game in a month. That's, that's not what you want. No. I mean, it's not ideal. No, it isn't. Uh, I, I can't imagine they trade him. I really, if it really, let's just use Jamie's number. If it was $10 million a year for six years, so you've got to pay him an extra $3.5 million. He's the face of your team. He's your captain. He's still pretty much, he's still in the prime of his career. He's an MVP caliber defenseman. He's, uh, yeah, I mean, do you think, you're lucky to have him. Do you think Ted's the number? I don't, or is it higher? Well, if it's higher, then I guess you have to look. Yeah, I, I, I wonder. Again, it, it, we have to see where the cap is. And cap's years. going up. We've already heard the projections that'll be between. So it might be. T- yeah, he could be twelve. I mean, he could be. Yeah. But boy, I mean, again, yeah, he. I wonder if Ottawa can. I, some team would pay him that. I just wonder if Ottawa would ever be that team, especially when you have Bobby Ryan and Dion Phaneuf making over fourteen million combined. How bad of shape are they in in terms of being able to afford players? Because that was sort of the talk, too, when they when they got Duchesne. There was that skeptical point of view that they, they added him because they couldn't afford to pay Kyle Turris, and they basically just put it off an extra year with Duchesne, but they won't be able to afford to keep him either. I'm not sure they want to right now, but, I mean, are, are finances really that much of a constraint for the Senators? Well, they're a constraint. They're never going to be a cab team, but... I mean, if, 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 you're, if you're telling your, your market that you can't pay your best player what he's worth, then that, that's, a whole, that's an entirely different issue, in my opinion. I mean, you have to find a way to pay your best players, at least, and then try and fill in around them. You have to, I guess you have to cut corners somewhere else. Maybe you hope to get somewhat of a home discount from Eric Carlson, who has made it pretty clear that's not happening in this case. But maybe you can do that with other players. But you've you got to pay your top players. It's just the way it is, and, and and especially when you have a guy, as you said, is an MVP candidate. It just it you feels can't lowball him. It feels like as as an owner, you can. I think most fans are accepting or can at least somewhat get on board with the, hey, you know, finances are an issue. We can't go out there and break the bank for a free agent. We just we can't do that right now. We're going to try and grow our own talent and, and build towards something. But when you start letting your own best players walk away that you yeah. drafted and built up, that's when you that's when you lose fans forever. Yeah, that, absolutely, and you should. That's you lose credibility when you do that. It's a whole different case in that point to say, especially you can say, you know, we can't go out and afford a big free agent this offseason if you've been re-signing your own talent. Yeah, you say, look, this guy got a raise. We gave Eric Carlson this. We gave this player this. You're like, okay, you know what? I, I see they're making an effort here. You sounded like Oprah for a second. You you get a contract extension and you get a contract extension and but. I, well, I don't know what that team looks like in two years if they don't have Eric Carlson on it. Besides, bad. But they're, and that's the thing, though. They're they're bad right now. They're the yeah, third worst true. team in the league. But I mean, this is a, a pretty tremendous slump 
we do have to remember that a year ago they were in double overtime of Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Final, and it was 90% because of Eric Carlson. They massively overachieved last year. They are underachieving this year, but they are still, at best, a wild card Yeah, team. they're a bubble team. That's that's what we always thought they, they were. Maybe they can still climb to that point. I don't know. You, you start digging yourself this deep a hole, and it, the, the chances are pretty slim, but... They're, they're not getting, well, we've talked about this as well. What, what has Matt Duchesne done for them? Nothing. Not, not much right now. <laughs> okay. Let's just lay that out there. How many Black games has, has he won yeah. in, okay, so they won their first two games. Remember they made the trade and then they played Colorado twice in Sweden for some reason. Yeah. And since then, they've won one of right. 11 games. He has four one points. Of, one of 12. He has four points. You, yeah, that's, he's waking, making way too much money to be on that level of production. At least Kyle Turris isn't playing like an MVP in Nashville or anything right now. <laughs> if if the edict came down that you have to trade Eric Carlson, what are you even looking at in terms of return? Like I, I John Tavares, that'd be perfect. Actually, <laughs> everybody wins again. You you, you can't, can't expect get, you can't expect to get existing NHL players that are going to equal Eric Carlson. You have to understand that it's going to be a package that includes high draft picks as well. And again, that's a gamble because yeah. unless you're, you know, if you, unless you're in the top three with those picks, who knows if they're going to pan out? What are the chances that you're ever going to get a player as good as Eric Carlson? And that's you're not. I mean, ultimately, unless you get again, if you get like a Herschel Walker trade or something like that. But if you get like five players in return, okay, I get that. But most of these times, I judge a trade by who got the best player. Yeah, and how are you going to get something anything close to Eric Carlson? It's it's shaky if you're trading for picks for a lot of reasons. Because look, this would never happen. But if you just if you look at players drafted in the last three years, who would you actually trade Eric Carlson for? All, everything else being equal, and again, he's 27. It's not like he's at the end of his career. Like you would trade him for McDavid and Matthews, and that's about it. I wouldn't trade him for Jack Eichel. Would you? Straight up, no. Straight no. up, no. I mean, have to be a package, but. So you almost have to, if you're going to make this trade, you almost have to wait until you know exactly where that pick is. Like, I'm not trading for a team that has a lot of ping pong balls in this upcoming lottery. I want to see the actual lottery take place because we've seen how messed up it's been the last few years. And even then, you're not going to get a player the caliber of Matthews or McDavid. Like They're just they're no. not there every year. They're not. Well, I would want... I would want at least one legit NHL player and probably two high-end prospects and a top three pick. But back to Craig's point, if you're a team that's being aggressive and going after Eric Carlson, you're not trading your best player in the deal. No, but you could do that, couldn't you? Like, give me a team that—I don't want to use Toronto. Your your best chance would be that if Eric Carlson and his agent can come to some sort of agreement with a team that's either— just outside the playoffs or near the bottom of the standings, that they would feel confident making that sort of commitment. Because you're not going to, they could give you their best player because they're not making the playoffs. But then there would have to be some sort of contract extension and agreement for them to even consider it. Why does it seem like Philadelphia is the team that you would go to? Because they're at the bottom of like I could get a decent player from Philadelphia, not their best, but a decent player. But then also potentially get a really high end pick and two prospects. I don't know. I I I mean I mean like like putting a package together. What would you want? But Gossis Bear Patrick plus. Like, you need way more than just those two. Yeah, but if you had Gosses Bear Patrick in the top five pick and their first round pick next year, I mean, I don't know if Philadelphia would do that at that point, but if you had to trade him, that would be something. Well, they don't have to do anything this season. No. Next year, they might have to do something. And again, the return is going to be less next year than it would be this year. But but it feels like that's the sort of trade you make at the draft this summer if you're going to make it. Just to reiterate, and I want to get your guys' reaction to this, I, I, I'm sure you've seen the quotes from Eric Carlson, but just to read them directly with what he told the Ottawa Sun earlier this month. Quote, when I go to market, I'm going to get what I'm worth, and it's going to be no less no matter where I'm going. And then a little later... When he was discussing, when it was brought up that the the Senators probably trade Kyle Turris because they weren't going to be able to match his asking price, he says, I think it's time to realize that when we go to the table, it's business on both parts, not just owners. That's the business part of it. That's the way every player has been treated ever since the league has started. And I think the players have been a little bit on the other side of things when it comes to negotiations. So he's just laying it out that there. He's sounds, saying, look, yeah. they treat it like a business. They treat us like commodities. It's time that the players started taking that same attitude when they went to the table and stopped bringing loyalty and all these other things into the equation. 
That sounds to me like somebody that's had these discussions with ownership and has gotten answers he's very not happy with. Yeah, that's, that's hard. Or that's hard line stance. Or teammates and, like but Kyle Turris, for example. Maybe a realistic stance too, right? Because it, look, you 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 hear owners or GMs say, you know, we're hoping for a little bit of a hometown discount. It's almost like they expect concessions on the part of the players, but they're not willing to give concessions themselves. Oh, yeah. It's not almost like it is. That's yeah. the way it is. So if it is a business, treat it as such. Don't treat it as anything else. Come in with, with those parameters and move on from there. And each player has their own set of priorities and things that matter to them more than others. Some might be willing to say, I'm going to take a little bit of less money here so you could re-sign a buddy of mine that's on the team that's going to help us win. Some might say, if, hey, I've been un- making under market value for five years now. I'm going to go get what I'm worth because I have a very finite period of time in which I can earn this amount of money. I think maybe that's it. I, I don't. There's nothing wrong with Eric Carlson's comments. Nope. If I was an Ottawa fan, I'd be concerned by those. Sure. Partially because they almost, they almost seem out of character for him to bring them up. I, and I'm sure that, I mean, I don't know the exact context. and he, Maybe he was asked and he had the answer or whatever, but... It almost feels like something sort of is, is bothering him. Yeah, yeah well, I'm sure the tourist thing bothered him. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. kind of what I was and getting And he probably at. Got, the same, got the same kind of response, mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm sick of hearing this. Yeah. The final quote in that story, by the way, we need to get treated like we're a business, and we're going to treat everybody else like it's a business, too. So I just, okay. I, I wonder, it's either what Jamie said where, I mean, he has been playing under market value for the last few years, but whatever, he signed that contract, or he's frustrated with the way they handled tourists and, and got a similar answer because, again, they had a really good season last year. So it's not like he's just frustrated with losing. Well, yeah, because what that sounds like to me is that somebody came to him and said, well, hey, this is a business and, you know, you got to have certain money here. He's like, like, oh, yeah, okay, it's a business. Okay, I'll show you it's a business. It's a business for me, too. Yeah. That's what that felt like, I'm which, not- again, is there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not taking less money just so you can pay Dion Phaneuf. I'll take, maybe, I'm speaking for him, I'll take less money if, if it means you're going to keep Kyle Turris around. Players, especially in hockey and baseball, have very little power for most of their careers and most of their prime earning years. I have no issue with the players saying, you know what, I'm going to make the most of my opportunity. Well, in football, they have no power in football. They have no power, but, it, but, they, but they can get bigger money quicker than yeah. hockey and especially baseball. Baseball is the worst for that, but they can get bigger money quicker yeah. in football than they can But it's all about hockey. the guaranteed money in football. Bingo. Because you can get cut. I don't think you can go to your best player and say, take less money, and we're going to let our other good players walk because take less money just so the owner gets more money. It's, it's different. I'll just use the Penguins as an example because Malkin and Crosby have taken less money, but they turned around and spent that money on Phil Kessel or other players. I think you have more of you have more to stand on when you go to your best player and say take a little less money because we are going to build a good roster around you, not because the owner wants more money. Yeah, and after you lose tourists because of those very reasons, then you have no legs to stand on anymore. Yeah. All right, uh, let's. Uh, well, you kind of touched on it. What what is the cap? We don't know exactly how much it's going to go up, but I think it's interesting to sort of look around the league and see which teams this benefits the most because. I mean, my first thought was, what can Peter Chiarelli spend all this extra money on? And I would assume he's just going to give Lucic a raise. But is there something else Edmonton could do with that? I, is almost anything else, but I have no idea what what they're going to do. Because even if it goes up a couple million, it's not like they're swimming in cap space. No, what's it's supposed to go up between five and seven. Yeah, it'll be somewhere between seventy-eight and eighty-two. So probably around eighty. That's that's what that's most good, of the that's projections a good rule have of been. Yeah. So, I mean, right now, the teams that are, that are right up against it are Toronto, Chicago. Yeah, Toronto, I could see benefiting from this. I don't. I, again, the Blackhawks, I think, are too far gone now. I mean, they're, they feel like a team on the decline, to be honest. But a team like Toronto could certainly benefit from this. They could, they could add to their blue line. And just so people are clear, because I know people are going to have the reaction of, oh, great, like Toronto and, and these other teams get to benefit now for whatever reason. This isn't like... This isn't some decision somebody made. This is just based on the revenue the league's pulling in, correct? And that just sort of pushes the cap off. It's a, yeah, it's a yeah. direct reflection of league revenue. Yeah. So who else does it benefit the most? Toronto. I mean, it has to benefit Edmonton until they screw it up, right? Yeah. I mean, it gives them the oppor- it gives them the opportunity to help themselves. What about the Pittsburgh Penguins? Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't hurt them. I guess it, it feasibly benefits them. If if it does anything, it benefits them. I mean, again, um, it doesn't hurt. What's it do to the floor? Does it pull? The, it has to pull yeah, the floor up yeah, a little. It pulls bit. the floor up as well. Yeah. So, is it correct to assume it probably helps the team at the very teams at the very top that have maybe overextended themselves and 
maybe helps the teams at the very bottom too because it forces you to add a player or two? It, it helps their fan bases, yes. They have to yeah, spend yes, a little I, bit more, acquire another player. <laughs> Some of those teams at the very bottom may not want to spend a little more, but they're going to be forced to now, yeah. I think it helps Edmonton and Toronto the most, the more I look at this, at least in a vacuum. Somehow Detroit's up against the cap. Who are they spending all this money on? The Detroit's mismanagement is, is remarkable. That sounds like a book Jamie should write. We haven't had a single bell yet, by the way. Chris is just looking at us, shaking his head. I'm very surprised that yeah, my, the, my Red Wings hate has not. The shots at Detroit, I figured that would be its own card. Danny DeKaiser for $5 million a year, maybe that's an issue. I don't. Mm. How about Franz Nielsen? He, but he's great in the shootout. That, that's lovely. So is Yusi Jokinen. <laughs> well, maybe they'll add him, too. All right, so that's going no, up. But good thing Justin Abdicate will sign for four and a quarter million for forever. Can't, you can't find players like Justin Abdelkader every day. He scored the other day. That's nice. Thomas Tatar, $5.3 million. It is sort of concerning, if I'm a Red Wings fan, that all these guys we're rattling off are signed for like the next Forever. four to five years. So they really are going to be up against the cap for a while. I mean, Zetterberg signed for four more years. Tatar, four more years. Five years for Nielsen. Although Zetterberg's got that funny thing where his contract, where he's all of a sudden going to feel like he's going to retire right before he starts making $1 million a year. Yeah. So, But these guys... So we'll, we'll, wait, we'll wait for that to happen. Like Athanasiu and Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha, they are all RFAs too. So they're going to have to find a way to pay these guys in the summer. They really did mismanage this. They're probably their it's, it's re- it's really three bad. best players. Gonna have they're to spending a, a lot of money on average players. Yeah, why did they give away these contracts? Because they don't, they don't have like that one or two contracts that you go, wow, those are completely awful. They just have a lot of bad contracts. Yeah, just to have, to have that breath. Yeah, quantity, exactly. Because the Blackhawks, when you look at them now, I mean, it's really about Brent Seabrook as much as anything. They've managed to shed some of their others. Yeah. Of course, they had to shed a lot of good players in order to do it. Yeah, because like, again, we, we could talk about Taves' contract, but they were not letting him leave. So they were kind of stuck there. Seabrook, that's a different story, but... It's almost better to be in that situation. It's not, maybe not better, but there's at least always that sort of hope that eh, some team will lose their minds and make a trade for Brent Seabrook. There's not any hope that some team's going to lose their minds and trade for Tatar and Nielsen and Abdelkader and Danny DeKaiser. If I'm Eric Carlson's agent, I'm just pointing to Danny DeKaiser's contract and saying, give my client $11.5 yeah, million. Exactly. Dollars. So, so uh, when's the next lockout so the Blackhawks can use a compliance buyout on Seabrook? Yeah, two years yeah, from now, three years from now. So if, if the Blackhawks were to get a, a bump in the cap and a lockout, would that help, Craig, or still not enough at this uh, point? I mean, are there players too old at that point? Probably. What's, yeah. uh, this is, okay, this, maybe this is an existential question. Does Jonathan Taves end his career as a Blackhawk? I don't know. Okay. I have no idea. It really wasn't the answer I was looking for. Five more years, though, after this year. He's going to be 30 next year. He's, he's just not producing. Would they, contract would they ever consider trading him? I'm sure they would. At some but point, you, you probably have to. But who wants, yeah, who wants a $10.5 million who, cap? It's not necessarily that. Who is going to give Chicago something to make it worth their while? Because I'm sure they could find somebody that says, okay, we'll take him on, but we're not giving you anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a ton of teams that would just take Jonathan Taves right now. Like, but if you're Chicago, you just, you're not just giving him away. Even for just PR purposes, you're not just giving him away for nothing. Yeah. He could still turn this around. It is weird, though, that that production really has kind of been down for a couple years. Mm-hmm. He's not anywhere near old enough where this should be. Nobody's got a lot of miles. He does have a lot of miles. And those concussions, the history of concussions, and I don't know. I, mean, I don't know that, what to play there. Yeah. But, but that, that team's played so many games in the last seven, eight years. Uh, if you're listening and wondering why we're not talking about the Seattle expansion bid, it's because we're going to talk to Chris Daniels of King 5 in Seattle yeah, keep at the listening. end of the show. Yeah, so Be that's, patient. Patience is a virtue. feels like something I should have teased at the beginning of the show, but I was just oh. so excited to talk about Ottawa. You can't blame me, can you? All right. The uh, Vegas Golden Knights. I've heard of them. This, this feels like a story that's right up Craig's alley. I feel like we're going to get like a... First of all, have you watched the newsroom yet, Craig? No, I haven't. Oh, he's, oh, I forgot he hasn't watched the newsroom. But, okay, look, I'm not one of those people that's like, I like this show, you have to watch it. Jamie, you've seen it. You I would, have. You would agree that show feels like it was written by Craig Morgan? Yes. Okay, watch the show. It's right up his alley. All right, I'll try to get to it this summer if the Coyotes don't make a move every day of the summer like they did last summer. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> so, how do we want to... Look, Vegas has a very aggressive <laughs> Twitter <laughs> account. Um, and... Yeah. Go ahead. Did it cross a line here? Well, lay it out for people. So, I don't have the exact tweet in front of me. Do, do you want me to find the exact tweet? If you have it, yeah. Right. But I, I can find it for you in a second. The gist yeah. of it, look, 
I like if you're going to have a social media account, you have to as a professional sports team. Be a little different with it. Like you don't just need to tweet out the stats. Edgy. Yeah, edgy or just be creative with it. Vegas has clearly taken the stance from the very beginning that they were going to be edgy. I remember one of their first tweets was they said something that, that angered the Canadians. The Canadians wrote back and they're like, "Look at all our Stanley Cups." And Vegas wrote back with, "Yeah, it's really hard to win when there's only six teams in the league." And then like the eye roll emoji, and we were off and rolling. So that's good stuff. Right that there. is good stuff. That's um, controlling. The control or the the issue, I guess, w- w- is you're you're going to you're going to run out of material at some point if you're constantly pushing the envelope. This is why stand up comedians put out like an hour of content every year or two. If 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 you're trying to control your message that that gets out there and make it funny every time, you're going to cross the line. Sometimes I'm not sure that they did here, but a lot of people feel like they did. So, so the tweet read, and I'm just reading this verbatim because they're off a screenshot. Said the other team scored. This was Nashville they were playing. The yeah. other team scored, and reporters covering their team started clapping. Unsure face emoji. Just a colon slash, whatever you call that. So this emoji. was Friday night. Yeah, that wasn't even the emoji. They were like old school emoji. Yeah. Well, because it, they didn't space it properly. Oh. Is it clear whether this actually happened in the press From, from what I, I understand, it did. it did not happen. Yeah. That, it was, that, it, that was the other half point of contention. Was Not only did it, was it something they felt was disrespectful, that it didn't actually happen. For those of you who don't, know the rules of the press box. There's no cheering in the press box, and there's good reason for that. You're supposed to maintain objectivity, and I know that those lines get blurred with a lot of media outlets this day, these days who root openly for their teams. That's not supposed to happen if it's actually journalism that <laughs> in which you're engaging. At any rate, there's no, there's no cheering in the press box. I doubt this happened. Yes. If, if there was someone clapping their hands, it might have been a fan or, a, I don't know, a team member. I, I don't even know where they got this. but well, yeah, They won the overtime pool. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, to call to call them out was unprofessional, and they they got called out because of it, and eventually apologized for this. But it's not the first time they've gotten into hot water this year. That's no, and it, it, it's you have, they had to delete another one too. I'm trying to find against to, against the Bruins when they tweeted a lineup of oh. all. Do you remember the movie Ted? Yeah, yeah. Where they're naming all the yeah. Yeah, well, that, so for, that, for, that, for I, there's no other way I could put it other than the, the, uh, Mark Wahlberg was rattling off the names of. White trash women, white trash women names. That's yeah. basically what they were. It was like. funnier in Ted. They created the, an entire lineup of white trash women names. The problem with that, that tweet was just it wasn't funny. No, and that's like if, you, if you're going to go for humor and you're going to take a chance, at least be funny. They, also, don't take too many chances on social media these days. They've like, tried to craft it to each market that they're playing, so they tried to do something that was Boston specific. But if you just give that a little bit of thought, just a tiny bit of thought beyond the superficial stuff, you might come to the realization that some people could perceive it as sexist. And perception matters as much as intent. I, I, I get tired of the argument, well, that's not what I intended. Well, you need to think about the perception as well, because that's your job. You're in, you're, you're in a, a job position here where the perception by your fan base and other fan bases is very important to what you're doing. So you can't just say, it was not my intent, and leave it at that. And that's, that's where I'm sort of wondering where this is going to go, because I think we can all agree that People are getting more and more sensitive on social media, and Vegas for good and for bad. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're good just and for bad. Street absolutely. There. Like the Boston example, I can that tweet. You just can't send that out because it absolutely sounds like you're saying women aren't equal to men. You just have to know that that's that's going to be perceived when you're reaching that many people on social media. But even beyond that, people are like Jamie said, for good and for bad. People are getting more sensitive, and if Vegas' plan is to just continue to push the envelope. They're going to run out of material. And, and both of these tweets and questions sort of feel like somebody trying too hard to be funny. Sometimes you're just, sometimes you're just not going to be funny that day. So if you're, if you're really pushing it and trying to be funny, that's when you get in yeah, trouble. Yeah, I mean, nobody knows that more than you, Luke. So it, it, it's well, important. I've never experienced it firsthand, but I've seen Jamie. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's important to still remember. Like, it, it's, social media is still a marketing tool. Yes. And it's a marketing tool for your company, your team, yep. your corporation. And I think that there's this weird line that just gets lost on social media nowadays, particularly on Twitter, where people tweet at it like they're at a bar or just having a conversation with their buddies, and they forget that you are now an entity. Mm. You're tweeting from an entity's account. There There are different levels of expectation on you than it would be your personal account. Yeah. And that personal account might depend on what your profession is. You know, we, th- we have this argument all the, you know, we have the kind of the, the stick to sports argument that happens all the time. And one of the arguments on the side of sticking to sports is that if you use your social media to promote your work or you are representing the outlet in which you are writing for, 
you you kind of give up certain things that you wouldn't wouldn't say. If you wouldn't say it in a column, don't say it in, on your Twitter feed. There are people that disagree or disagree with that, but ultimately it's the world we live in. It is a lot worse too if they in in the case of the Nashville tweet. This was Friday night. If they if they made that up, I mean that would be. That's that's not great. The thing is, with with the way most NHL press boxes are set up, you've got potentially the other team's owner sitting up there, or the GM, or the scratch players, or I mean, the scratch players. I mean, how many yeah. times have, have we been sitting there and you can hear the conversation that the scratch players are having yeah. in the box right above you? I yeah, mean, it, exactly. It happens. But I think for, for those that aren't in the journalism industry, they don't under, I don't think they fully understand how big of a faux pas that it would be. Yeah. Like that, that is a mat, like that would that's kick you out of the arena bad. I'll give you an example yeah. from the Cardinals press box. We've had a couple GMs in the press box sitting there. Trent Balky from San Francisco 49ers. I won't, I won't even bother hiding the name. Pounding his fist and screaming when things weren't going right for the 49ers. Literally got glares from about 40 people who turned around and looked at him like, you know, act like a professional. You're in a press box. He got that from the press corps. You just don't do that in that setting. But do you think... What was his role with the Niners at that point? Was he the, the GM? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with the GM being happy or frustrated. Sure, just don't do it in the press box. Yeah. Because they, there's you a, a rule that's stated before every game that there's no cheering in the press box. Yeah. You will hear that stated. Yeah. Don't do it. If you want to go do that, go get yourself a suite. Yeah, he can afford it. <laughs> that's true. Well, I was just wondering how much of, of the glares that he was getting do you think were from people that thought he was just a media member? and they were No, we all knew who he was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. But he was getting it from 49ers beat writers as well who sat, you know, right in front of him. If you, you know how the Cardinals uh, press box is three rows, and he was literally one row behind the beat writers for San Francisco. So they're all looking at him. A bunch of Phoenix people are looking at him like, just act, act like an adult. It is interesting, you know, to Jamie's point. Where where I sit for the Coyotes games is right next to the visiting teams, scratch players, like literally like one seat over, and they don't really, they don't really cheer, and that's that's across the board. No, they, Most teams that come in, they, they even the players don't cheer. It's tough to cheer through all those like, expletives. <laughs> yes. So uh, quick news to pass along to Sven Barchi out for four to six weeks with a jaw injury. Yes, yeah, so Barchi Horvat both out. Not Oof. not great. Speaking news. of injuries, Jaden Schwartz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, uh, his, is, his is going to be a career of what-ifs. Because he has been so good when he plays, but he is perennially injured. You start to look and you're like, who flies under the radar the most in the league? Because we, you know, we talk about how, or at least I do, how John Tavares, I think, is still underappreciated. But he doesn't fly under the radar. People know he's a very good player. But like Jaden Schwartz, if you asked 100 hockey fans what team he's on, would 100 percent of them know he played for St. Louis before this season because the Blues have sort of been a pretty good story to start this year yeah I'm not, sure, I'm not sure they would right like even now yeah because what did he it's... it was a little bit it was a little bit like what Kucherov was two years ago yeah I'm just looking at the last couple of years of his career 56 points 63 points but then 22 points in just 33 games uh last year he ended up with 55 and played 78 but this year he had 35 points in 30 games and now he's out at least six weeks with an ankle injury I mean, he's he's not a point-per-game player, but if he ever played a full season, you figure you're probably getting 25 to 30 goals and 65-ish points. He just can't ever play a full season. And this team, too, I mean, they've been, they've been devastated by injuries, just like, just like we talked about with Anaheim. Both of these teams are just, just absolutely crippled by injuries. It's insane how, they, how much they've dealt with so far. St. Louis is still on top of the division, amazingly. Yeah, they've won four in a row. That was their reaction to losing Schwartz. Um, and St. Louis actually, what are they? They're tied with Tampa for the best record in hockey. So it's the injuries are starting to mount for St. Louis, but they haven't hurt them the way they've hurt Anaheim. They play Tampa Bay tomorrow, don't they? I believe so. Yes, That's a game worth watching. What do yeah. we think about the fact that we haven't heard the bell once? I'm disappointed. Are we becoming less predictable on this show? Perhaps. I don't know if I don't know if it's that. Is Chris awake? I can't really turn. Yeah, no, he's, he's over there. Okay. Um, Just a sad Mets fan over there thinking about what what poor reliever that they're going to get to counter Giancarlo Stanton. So. Yeah, that's, well, yeah. Well, I guess I won't get into that. Uh, the Washington Capitals. I know you guys both don't want to talk about them, but we're going to. Okay. It, I mean, they're playing well. I, again, I, I'll say the same thing I said almost exactly one year ago today. Do we have that? It's, By it's, the way, it's you great. Just call that up? Yeah, it's, it's great that they're playing well, but it doesn't matter. Is insulting Carl Putnam on the bingo card? Because I feel like we're going down that well, path. Well, I like Carl. I just, I'm just sorry for 
his rooting interest. Well, yeah, but you always kind of take a veiled shot where you clearly do like Carl, but you just want to remind him that the Capitals always play their best hockey in like February. Are we are we penciling it in then that Washington will lose in the second round of the playoffs again this year? Uh, well, Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Jersey's starting to fade a little. Yeah, they are. That division. Just a little. Again. You're a three-game winning streak back from being in second place, and nobody cares. Yeah, so, but you, but. You basically, you can't lose two in a row in the Metro, or you're fading no. quickly. Clearly the best division in hockey, right? Yep. I mean, at the moment, the Rangers are five games above hockey 500, and they would miss the playoffs because they're in sixth place in that division. Yeah, and starting Pavlik tonight, so cool. So that's something that they're doing. Uh, Columbus <laughs> leading the way. Again, also in the category of it doesn't matter right now. Those, well, those are two Columbus and Washington. Like it's all about what they do in the postseason. To, I agree. Sure, but, but do you think Columbus could series? have postseason success? I mean, I, especially looking at how the Metropolitan is, is shaping up right now. I mean, they what, should. What because the Caps have fallen off a little bit. We're we're in agreement. Even yeah, though they're what they're doing, they're not as good as last year. The Penguins t- to three peat is just. I mean, what they did last year was hard enough. I just they're don't see that happening. So so why not Columbus then? Out of, out of this it. division, it should be. But I just I. I worry about teams that have never won a playoff series. Oh, that. Well, yeah. That concerns me. It's kind of a big deal. Never. At the moment, Columbus's path to, let's say, the Eastern Conference final. I think that's what we're all looking at is can they come out of that yeah, division. Yeah, you see who they're playing in the first round? The Islanders, the Islanders right now. right now. But. And then they would play the winner of Washington, New Jersey. So Columbus, Washington, round two. I can see Columbus getting past the Islanders. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Columbus, Washington, somebody has to win. I sort of get the feeling that they are that team where once they finally win a playoff series, they could be a little dangerous, especially with Bobrovsky if he's on. Well, his again, game. they they have an elite goaltender. Like I don't I don't think the stigma is nearly as big on the Blue Jackets. Maybe it should be as it is on the Capitals. Well, no, because the Capitals it's been longer. They 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 took that that uh, I don't know what to say that trophy from San Jose. Like right about the yeah. time where San Jose, everyone's like, "Oh yeah, we just we're just assuming San Jose is never going to win anything." And then Washington, which they have the gift, and they still haven't. But yeah. they've at least been to the cup. Yes. Yeah. Washington hasn't been there since they had Peter. And Columbus Bondra. hasn't won anything. So. No, they haven't. I guess the reason I bring up Columbus is it's Washington doing good in the regular season means nothing to me. It's it's they've reached that point, like you just said, where it's almost become a joke. The more they win in the regular season, whereas Columbus, they they weren't that good a couple years ago, and. In that division, for them to come back and have this much success in the regular season again, that's kind of impressive to me. In the sense that they are at least they're at least joining that group of perennial playoff contenders. It's what you want to see, but again, ultimately, if they bow out in the first round again, it means nothing. Also, I agree. How how happy are they with that Atkinson extension now? Like what four <laughs> weeks later? Now that he's healthy scratched, he made it what three weeks before getting healthy scratched. Must be nice to be able to healthy scratch a guy that just had like 35 goals for you the year before and then still win that night. By the way, and something I mentioned in my column on Sunday, how good an argument are the current NHL standings for non-traditional markets? Yes. Yeah. Columbus, Tampa Bay, Vegas, Nashville. Yeah, the best team in hockey is in Florida. Yeah, and it's not Florida. No, it's definitely not Florida. That, that team as well has way too much young talent to be as bad as they That's are. That's the other side of the coin. For the traditional markets, Florida, yeah. Arizona. Let me, uh, wait, are we done with Columbus? Because I, I have a question I for the know. two of you. Do we? you want to be done with Columbus? Um, I just want to make sure neither one of you had anything important to say. We haven't had anything important to say since the show started. That's good. I just like it when Jamie insults himself. Uh, actually, I have something important to say. Artemi Panarin, yeah. six assists on Columbus's last six goals. That's not bad. It's all right. And he, called out, really. Not, not so much called out by, by his coach, but... Clearly, they made a point that he needed to be doing more offensively, and then he, he comes out and has five primary assists in that one game. Hey, that works. Along the lines of Florida, and I don't really know what to make of them. It sounds like an awful name for a country music song. Along, Along the, the lines, lines of Florida. Florida. <laughs> Along the line-dancing lines of Florida. Which teams take Edmonton out of this? Gladly. Which, uh, which teams are, are most underachieving in your mind right now? Uh, this sounds like something I should write. Most underachieving. Well, I, I can't throw Anaheim in there because they've been so banged up. I can't even say they're underachieving. Um, I put I put Dallas in that mix. Okay. Yeah, Dallas with is all that they in did in the offseason. And they're above five hundred. They're even above real five hundred. Not not, yeah. not even just hockey five hundred. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, but but yeah, I mean, they still have time. I mean, they're right there. 
But I, I thought with all that they did in the offseason, by now they sort of would have figured it out a little bit more than they have. Yeah. And they've lost three in a row. Edmonton is clearly the most, but that's why we're taking them out. But is it, like, is Florida underachieving, or is this just kind of what I, they I, are? I don't think they're good. Yeah, I don't think they are either. And, and Ottawa, we talked about a little earlier, is slightly underachieving, but nothing more than a bubble team in my opinion. So uh, Philadelphia? No, I mean, no. Philadelphia's a 500 team, and yep. they're doing, well, NHL 500 team, and they're doing exactly that. They're NHL 500 and also seven games below real 500. Yes. That's impressive. They've won 11 of their 29 games, but they're NHL 500. Yeah, there are only a couple teams there. And even even with Edmonton, if you if you say they're underachieving based on what they did last year, was last year realistic? realistic? And then and with the moves that, that they have made, with the players that they've lost, is this who they are? I was told they might be. I, thought, I was told they were going to win three cups in the next two years, mm. so... <laughs> hey, there's still time. Um, yeah, I guess those are. Those are I feel like everybody, teams. everybody in the East, aside from Ottawa being, I said, if Ottawa has three more wins, they're right where we thought they'd be. Buffalo probably of, shouldn't be this. Bad. No, I, I yeah. was no, no, I was on that. They were terrible before. I called them in. We did, did our preseason thing. Yeah. Should they be the worst team in the Eastern Conference? Yes. Okay. Okay. They're just they've they have a couple again. They have two nice pieces. It's amazing all the center depth that's getting wasted. In Buffalo and Edmonton and Florida. Yeah. What's the deal, Craig? You're I mean, the, the one that always pounds the drum for having well, you have top-end to have, centers. Probably the rest of the team would be nice. Yeah. yeah so now you want everything. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, blue lines matter, too. How about the fact that the Rangers are out of the playoffs right now and they're one point away from passing either the Islanders or the Penguins and taking them out of the playoffs right now? Like, we're not—what are we? We're more than a third of the way through the season. Yeah, that's just the Metro right now. The yeah. Metro's insane. But it's going to be that way all year. It probably yeah. is. And I th- I think, I'm afraid Jersey's probably going to be the, the odd team out there. So, okay, so Columbus, Washington, New Jersey, Islanders, Penguins, Rangers. You say New Jersey's the team that misses? Yeah, so somebody has to. I think, yeah, I think it might be them. I hope not. I want to see Jersey in there. I, I like would all like the moves they've made. I think, I think, you know, getting Sammy Vatanen obviously really helped their blue line. I, I still think they need another piece back there and they need some more growth from their young players, but... I like that mix. If I had to pick, I think I'd say the Islanders are going to be the ones that miss. When's Kyle Palmieri back? When does he come back? Soon. Yeah, right? soon very soon. It'd be a nice injection, too. That's that's rough, too, because the Islanders, I mean, this is maybe the best team they've had in quite a quite a long time. I just, I can't, I think the Penguins will make the playoffs, and I can't see the Rangers missing the playoffs when push comes to shove either. So We shall see. All right, you guys got anything else before we bring on Chris to talk about... Uh, I'm just I'm just sad we haven't hit bingo. Anything. Not, not one. Not so one that, bell. We should just go take the card and just start reading them all off. Yeah, we well, have to wait till like Chris leaves. Okay. Just Does he like take it home with him and sleep with it under his pillow? Well, so we, are probably. Get to we are gonna be talking about arenas and relocations and all that sort of stuff with Chris Daniels, so we may hear a couple bells. You think Chris hey, Daniels is gonna wonder why uh, bells are we, ringing? We might want to prepare him for that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We just need to say non linear progression a lot. Do we just need to do that? Oh, yeah. That, was, that, that, might, that might have actually been when we got last week. I was going to open remember. up the show with that. All right, we're going to talk to uh, Chris Daniels of King 5 right now to get his thoughts on Seattle as a potential landing spot for an NHL expansion franchise. All right, we're joined now by Chris Daniels. Uh, you can find him on, on Twitter, at ChrisDaniels5, to talk about the, the situation in Seattle where, look, Seattle doesn't have an NHL team yet, but they took a major step towards getting one this past week. Chris, what's just what's the mood in in the city right now in terms of potential excitement for for maybe landing a team? Well, I'd say there's more excitement about the the arena getting done. There aren't people running through the streets uh, with uh, any sort of hockey jerseys uh, on or anything <laughs> like that. I mean, this is you know this is a process that really started with the NBA leaving town uh, back in in 2008 and the questions about whether to build a new arena and the NHL has uh, been looked at at times from, from this perspective as a way to get that done. And uh, what was most surprising here was that after all these years of debate, the, the memorandum of understanding for a new $660 million project with a new arena uh, that it was approved by the council Two days later, signed by the mayor, and the next day that the NHL announcement was made, all, all within 72 hours uh, of each other after years of debate here in Seattle. And I think that uh, in, in level of excitement, there's going to have to be a lot of education of, of the people here uh, if and when that, that first puck drops in Seattle to make it a long-term successful 
franchise. Chris, what along those lines, what is the feeling there then? Is, is the feeling that they're excited actually to get a team, or is this does this feel more like a consolation prize for the city? Uh, you know, it really wants an NBA team, and that's still the ultimate goal here. It, that's a great question, and, and I think that there is a certain uh, amount of people in this town that that view it as a consolation prize and say, really, it's it's about uh, at the end of the day getting an NBA team. But there there is a hockey community here that's fired up about this. I mean, keep in mind that there have been a lot of near misses, as you know. Uh, with the NHL coming to Seattle with the, the round of expansion that brought in Las Vegas. It was thought that it was going to be Las Vegas and Seattle all along. I mean, they, there have been some high hopes here that have been dashed over time, and, and there is a good hockey community here. Don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, but the, the this whole process uh, was really started by the NBA. There are people who are diehard basketball fans of this town who still want an NBA franchise. Uh, but there are also people uh, scattered around Western Washington with two Western Hockey League franchises with a couple of uh, big uh, adult leagues and youth leagues that are very, very, very excited about this uh, and the NHL coming to town. You, know, you mentioned some of the near misses in the past. What do you think makes Seattle an attractive market to the NHL? Well, I think that uh, the first thing that anybody from the NHL says uh, is the proximity to Canada and the proximity to Vancouver. Uh, the, the Canucks owner, uh, Francesco Acolini, was down here for one of the big announcements on the arena proposal. Uh, he says he's excited about the prospect. Uh, I think there's that natural rivalry that's the first thing that jumps off the page, and the NHL has said as much. Uh, but there, there has been a hockey community. I, uh, my friend at NHL to Seattle, John Barr, who has really kind of pushed the puck forward from a fan perspective over time. He would tell you that the the amount of applications to, to U.S. hockey, uh, the people seeking membership has gone up like 24% in the last couple of years, uh, that the growth of the sport in this market over the last five or six years has dramatically increased both on the youth and adult level. You have two Western Hockey League franchises that get six to 8,000 uh, a night. I, I think... All of that, all of that data plays into the the NHL's decision here and why they are so interested in the market. And on top of all of that, this is the fastest growing major American city in the United States, uh, with Amazon uh, being the big influence on why thousands and thousands of people moving here on a weekly basis from all over the country. That is uh, new money. Uh, Big discretionary income. Uh, these are good jobs. The, the cost of living here has increased. And I think that, that untapped uh, wealth, uh, that discretionary income, is also of great interest to the NHL and down the road, the NBA. Chris, I, I used to live in Seattle, and you know, I, mem- I remember Key Arena back before it was kind of what it is now. What, what, was, what made that, uh, this, this proposal better than some of the other ones that you guys have had? I mean, even so much as, as Chris Hansen, who seemed like he was willing to just build his own, uh, own arena. Was it more just the NBA aspect, or is there something else to it? Well, there's, there's something else to it. The, the, the issue that Chris Hansen has always had down in Soto is what does the city do with a city-owned property at a city park? It has always been... You know, the, the, the issue that he's tried to address in his deal with the city uh, back in 2012, he had agreed uh, to put a little bit of seed money into a renovation there. Uh, and then when it got down to a, a highly contentious vote last year, the kind of last hurdle that he needed for his project, the street vacation vote, to eliminate a, a one-block stretch, it came up once again that the city would have this white elephant on its hands uh, at Seattle Center. And within a span of 18 months, uh, the... The unfathomable happened with AEG and, and Tim Iwicki and the Oakview Group coming in and saying, hey, we think that something can be done there. And for city leaders, uh, they, they looked at this as saving a public park. Uh, and for the next 50 years at Seattle Center, uh, this public space, uh, this is the, the Hail Mary of all Hail Marys to mix metaphors uh, in sports, uh, where Tim Iwicki and AEG came in at the 11th hour and said, hey, we think we can do this and we are willing to put all of this money into a public area that is just not something that uh, chris hansen or anyone else could overcome uh with their project and, and it's come up it's funny it's it's cyclical it, this has come up before dating back to the 80s and 90s when barry ackerley owned the seattle sonics 
he wanted to build a Soto Arena, and the same issue came up with city leaders saying, what do we do about the then Seattle Center Coliseum? That led to Key Arena, and now what is uh, going to be a brand-new arena with the old roof at Seattle Center. Chris, we've heard people say that getting this arena deal done in Seattle was a monumental task, more so than other markets because of the local politics. Is that an accurate portrayal? And if so, what makes Seattle politics unique? Yeah, it is an accurate portrayal, and it's been it's been tough over time. So to take you to take you back in time into the wayback machine, uh, you know, Safeco Field received public money. The Mariners got a huge public subsidy, uh, and that was after the Key Arena renovation, the, the renovation of the Seattle Center Coliseum. So that happened in in '95. Safeco Field happened in 99 and then CenturyLink field was 0102 that was another huge public subsidy and, and the voters in this town spoke and passed an initiative that really limited what kind of public subsidies can be given to uh, professional sports franchises and, and that made it tough for the sonics then coming back once again less than a decade later howard schultz and then clay bennett to say hey we we want public money for a new building it, it just it fell on deaf ears didn't go anywhere clay bennett knew it when he came into town and bought the team and that's why the franchise left and chris hansen when he came along in 2012 wasn't asking for public money but was asking for bonding capacity essentially a low interest loan that even got a lot of pushback so it has been tough the, the politics here are way to the left uh, compared to other cities there's just not a lot of appetite and that's why I say this was, in the last 18 months, uh, really surprising for anybody who has followed this over time because they were able to get somebody to come in and say, we will spend private dollars on a public asset. I think you'd be hard-pressed to uh, find another situation like it. And, uh, and the fact that it went so fast within a 72-hour period was also surprising, like I mentioned. Yeah, the, the, the politics here are different than most, and... Um, that that perhaps is why it has taken so long to get to this point, uh, 10, 11 years of debate uh, between uh, when Clay Bennett bought the team and now to get an arena. It's probably really early in the process, but are there any, any early favorites for names for the team, and why is it the Sonics? Yeah. Well, I, I, I threw out a, a couple of Twitter polls over the weekend, and, and the Metropolitans, uh, who... Uh, a lot of people like to reference here in this town. hundred years ago, won the Stanley Cup uh, here in Seattle. That, that's a popular name. The Steelheads, uh, also uh, a name that a lot of people seem to uh, like or they, they've warmed up to. So the Metropolitans and the Steelheads, I know uh, some people reference the Totems and Breakers. Those were two old Western Hockey League franchises or the Sun in Seattle. Uh, Western Hockey League franchise that plays down the road now. Those, those have all been mentioned, uh, but that'll be the fun part uh, once the NHL officially, officially, officially signs off on this probably next year. Chris, what uh, what sort of support did the Thunderbirds get? Like, what's what's youth hockey like in Seattle right now? And I guess what would happen to the Thunderbirds if Seattle got an NHL team? Yeah, I think that the, the NHL team will have to work with both those franchises. So the, the Thunderbirds... <laughs> somewhat ironically played in key arena uh, after the remodel and it was a horrible hockey venue i think by anybody's estimation even the thunderbirds it was uh, you know the offset ice with the one end up against the black tarp there wasn't really any effort to make it a good hockey facility and so the thunderbirds moved to a suburban arena in kent that seats about six or seven thousand they won the western hockey league title they've been successful over the last couple of years uh, they get good support down in Kent. Up to the north, there are the Everett Silvertips. They play in a, an arena that, that seats about nine to 10,000, uh, an arena that is hosted uh, an NHL preseason game. They get good support as well. So there, there is history here with those two franchises. You're talking about uh, a built-in perhaps ten to twelve to 13,000 uh, in fans that would perhaps want to buy NHL tickets and and you would think that they, they, they would have to work, you know, the Thunderbirds and the Silvertips, on, on partnerships with the NHL to keep that interest, uh, to keep uh, people going to those games. Uh, but, yeah, there, there is that uh, part of the fan base. And then 
like I mentioned, there there are multiple youth and boot leagues. Uh, again, my, my friend John Bard, NHL to Seattle, he tracks all this stuff, and, and he would tell you that, uh, that one of the, the bigger adult men's hockey leagues in the country is here in Seattle. They can't even get ice time because there's so many youth hockey teams. With the Washington Wild uh, girls hockey uh, team, they, they testified in the run-up to this uh, key arena vote and, and this new arena vote. There are a few different junior hockey associations, youth hockey uh, in both Everett and Kent, uh, where those two Western Hockey League teams play, and then you've got uh, a few different adult hockey leagues uh, in the greater Seattle area as well. So uh, we're, we're talking probably uh, not comparable to a lot of Canadian cities, uh, but there is, there are roots here that uh, any NHL franchise is going to have to, to tap into to, to make it successful out of the gate. And it's probably good for Seattle, good for the NHL that we're talking about something that's two and a half years down the road as opposed to a relocation of a franchise where you would only have a few months to get something up and running. I think long-term success is based on uh, the the lead-up time that the franchise has to kicking this all off, and and that appears with the NHL now has set up with a 2020, October 2020 uh, estimated date for the first drop of the puck. Last question for you, Chris. Um, what does the process look like now for you know exploring whether Seattle can support a market and and how much can they use Vegas as as a guide? Well, I, I think Vegas is the the blueprint uh, that the NHL has laid out. By every indication uh, outside of the wording, I mean you're, you're talking about a conditional franchise. You know, we're here with what Gary Bettman said. I think. Uh, my friends in Canada even said they didn't expect that much from from Bettman, from the commissioner uh, last week when he came out and said, we're only accepting an application from Seattle, we're only accepting an application from David Bonderman and Jerry Bruckheimer. It's going to be for $650 million in 2020. I mean, he narrowed it down, and basically the out for the NHL here is the season ticket drive and how, how many people sign up for that. If for some reason, those numbers are extremely low when that uh, drive gets kicked off next year. The NHL has an out. They also have an out if something goes wrong with this whole arena project in Seattle or if there's a delay or a lawsuit. Uh, but but all focus right now is, is on Seattle. And I would think that it would follow along with what you saw with Las Vegas, where uh, by summer or early fall, uh, once all those benchmarks are met and it appears that everything is good to go with the timeline on the arena and the season ticket uh, drive, then you have a major announcement in Seattle with Gary Bettman and Tim Laiwicki, David Bonderman, and Jerry Bruckheimer with uh, the announcement of the NHL franchise starting October 2020. Chris Daniels of King 5. You can find him on Twitter at ChrisDaniels5. Chris, thanks so much for the time and, and enjoy the next steps of this process, all right? Thanks, guys. It's been a long ride, and I'm sure it'll be <laughs> more fun to come. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting, just knowing some of the politics. I mean, I was pretty young when I was there, but but to, to get the sort of, uh, what is it, basically public funding for a private venture, that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's typically the exact opposite of what you can get. Most cities are looking for private funding for a public venture and for them to get that in Seattle. I don't know. It, it shows that they are uh, are serious about this. I mean, it's it's not a done deal by any means. A lot of people were thinking it was a done deal last week with with the announcement that the NHL made. This is it's not step one though either. I mean, we're we're pretty far along. Yeah, and you've got the arena in place now, and you've got ownership in place. So to me, it it really is about the season ticket drive. If they they have a season ticket drive that's successful, something along the lines of Vegas, which I think they will, then you move ahead with this process. Um, a lot of a lot of Things to consider, you know, it, with him mentioning that they have to have that before they know that it's moving forward, that sort of serves as a guide for other things. A lot of people wondering, how does this impact Houston? Well, I think Houston is on the back burner until you find out what happens in Seattle. Is this definitely going forward? Until the NHL makes an announcement on Seattle, I don't think that they do anything with Houston at that point. One of the other things I wonder about, he mentioned the two teams that are up there, like the Silver Tips, who, good friend of the show, John, John Rosen, will talk about till the cows come home if we allow him. Yeah. What happens to those franchises? Do, do they lose fan base? Do they do they remain in in the area? I mean, we saw what happened when 
when the, the Coyotes came here, it, it impacted minor league hockey. Can a market support both of those, or do they have to find new homes? These are obviously minor concerns for the NHL. I mean, they probably don't care at all what happens to those teams if they make it their way into the market. But it's interesting to see how it would impact the market. It's it's sort of backwards the way it impacts the, the two levels of hockey you have, like We've seen it here with the Coyotes. Youth hockey took off when the Coyotes got here. I mean, there's a ton of youth hockey here. And like he was saying with adult leagues, if you're going to play adult league hockey in Seattle, you know, Chris is saying that you're not going to be playing until 11 o'clock at night because the the rinks are just jam-packed. Well, that's the way it is here, too. I don't know if it was that way before the Coyotes got here. I'm guessing it's a lot more. I'm guessing it exploded on the youth level when the Coyotes got here. And I've seen it just grow in the time I've been here. But on the flip side, you're right. If you have a minor league team in town, they kind of get pushed out the door because how many people can get season tickets for a minor league team and season tickets for an NHL team? There's only so many nights in a week. And there's a lot of hockey being played around that area. I mean, there there are six WHL teams within inside of four hours of mm-hmm. Seattle. Yeah. The, the Vancouver Giants, Everett Silvertips, the Thunderbirds in Seattle themselves, the Winterhawks in Portland, Tri-City Americans, Spokane Chiefs, which is actually the farthest away from them. That's a lot of hockey that's in that area. So that's a good thing in terms of trying why that market might be fertile for an NHL team. But to your point, it's, you know, where do your sports dollar go if you're yeah. Everett Silver Tips or Seattle Thunderbirds? I will say this, and I don't know if this has been the experience you guys have had too, and, and I hate making generalizations because I know that what I'm saying here isn't 100% true, but I'll give Seattle and their fans and their potential hockey fans a lot of credit for handling this whole situation with a, how do I want to word this, a little An more... Canadian fashion. <laughs> Jamie talking. With a little more class than other fan bases that wanted a hockey team have handled it. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that, having you know, been at the center of that. Yeah, like <laughs> in, instead of just attacking current NHL teams but and fan bases, Seattle fans just want a team. Consider what Seattle went through, too. They lost a the team, so they That's know how it feels. Why. Now, yeah. then again... Uh, Quebec lost a team and Winnipeg lost a team. Too. I didn't mention any specific that, that city That didn't names. stop them from behaving the way they did. Like two-year-olds throwing a temper tantrum? Well, just, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can understand being a, a two-year-old and throwing a temper tantrum, being really upset that you've lost your team. I get all that, but it's just the... Maybe not taking it out on other innocent people? Yeah, or just being so disgusting with, with your social media posts or responses. Or I mean, I, I think if I looked at the people that have been blocked on my Twitter account... <laughs> There's an inordinate amount of them that are, that are from those two markets. And just to be clear, Craig, you're not responsible for the Nordiques playing in Colorado now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, had nothing to do with it. Interesting. And you're not Clay Bennett, so you're not responsible for the Sonics playing right. in Oklahoma City. Right. And, and for some reason, people in Seattle seem to get that. Oh, if, if they really get this... I mean, you mentioned Houston. I don't know what the domino effect is, but just in a vacuum, if you're going to give an expansion team to a city, we know the NHL has liked Seattle for a while. It's a beautiful city. They, it's, it's a great sports city. They are right now limited to, as we said last week, basically one and a half of the four major sports with the uh, the Seahawks and then half the Mariners. So they should have at least three teams. Yeah, and they actually they won our poll from last week. Uh, but we asked oh, you know, yeah. if you ran, NH- ran the NHL, which city would interest you the most? And 64% said Seattle. Did they win going away? They did. Uh, the second place was Quebec at 20%, Houston 13%, and 3% of you said Beijing. <laughs> Beijing, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we need to come up with another poll question for today. We do. Yeah. Should it be like whether or not you should trade Eric Carlson? Should it be what what should we name Seattle's team? The Metropolitans? I feel like Sonics. Yeah. Sonics should just win 100%. Is, after talking to him, any concern that this is still predominantly something that they they want the Sonics and this might be a stepping stone to get there? Well, no. I mean, because they've got the pieces in place. Again, if if this season ticket drive is successful, that... That, to me, is all it takes. You've got the ownership. You've got the arena. Unless something, of course, goes wrong with the arena. If, who no, knows? Nothing. nothing all, that's always no, a Nothing smooth. ever happens with yeah, Always like a given. Yeah. yeah. You know, those, those are the potential hurdles. But if you have the arena and the ownership in place, those are the, those are the two biggest things, right? And if you have a, a fan base, well, you're pretty much set then. And they, they obviously have done their market research on Seattle already. The NHL knows it likes it as a market. So... I don't see this hitting any roadblocks. Who knows? I don't see this hitting any roadblocks. But when they finally make that announcement, we may get more clarity on that other available market that the NHL absolutely loves in Houston. Let me ask you to clarify that before we wrap up, too, because what you said, I was kind of thinking as he was speaking that there's, I don't know what the word would be, but 
Houston's certainly a city that the league is looking at. How's that? But we don't know for sure that Seattle's locked in. So what does that do to Houston's timeline in your mind? You kind of touched on that. I don't know what it does to Houston's timeline. Although, like I said, I don't think anything happens before they have complete clarity on what Seattle is. And that's that could take that could take a while, really. I mean, we're still talking about if you're talking about not dropping the puck until 2020, we probably don't have complete clarity on Seattle in the next six months. Yeah, probably not. I mean, the season ticket drive can come quickly, as we saw with Vegas. But uh, what what potential hurdles still out are out there for the arena? I don't know. But I would think with you know, probably by the end of the season, you probably have a pretty good idea. I mean, if it's if everything's moving forward at that point, you feel pretty good about yeah, it. Yeah, it's going to be great because they'll come right out of the 2020-2021 lockout and Seattle have a team. R- really? Lockout's not on the bingo card? I'm surprised. I'm not sure Chris is awake. He Chris might be sleeping lo- with his yeah, eyes he just, open. He just looked at us. With, there was no life behind those <laughs> eyes. All right, we're going to wrap up before Chris chases us all out of his studio with a baseball bat. Uh, for Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.